Well, good afternoon. Hello and welcome to um, our lunch hour lecture today, being given by Chris Wise. Uh, Chris uh, was a, um, uh, the youngest uh, director at Overlap and Partners um, in 1992, and he left there to set up his own practice, uh, co-founded uh, Expedition Engineering, where um, he uh, designed the uh, Structural Awards uh, winning uh, Infinity Bridge, and also did the uh, structural design work for the uh, velodrome on the Olympic site, the London Olympics. Uh, he's, uh, he collaborates with uh, leading um, architects. He's himself a member of the Royal Institute of British Architects, and he is a fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering, uh, recipient of their highest individual medal, the Silver Medal. And this year, received the Institution of Structural Engineers Gold Medal uh, Award. Um, he's a writer and broadcaster on creative projects. He set up um, uh, the Constructionarium Projects for Civil Engineering Students, which is imitated, no, it's joined by uh, the leading universities uh, in, in the country. He is a creative and um, innovative uh, engineer. So I'm very pleased to introduce Professor Chris Wise with his, um, uh, with his uh, lecture entitled Civil Engineers Against the Double Negative. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, John. Hello, Alistair. Long time to see. Um, thank you for coming at lunchtime and uh, hope not to spoil your food too much. I want to talk a bit about um, engineers and human beings, I guess. So, question is, which of these two are most likely to become an engineer? And I, w I won't let you, you can um, answer that question for yourself. So, it's the one, it was the chat with the turban, by the way. Um, so, I was sitting in the airport last Wednesday, I was lucky enough to go to Milan to give a talk, and I was, I was um, jotting down common engineering um, words, uh, and I scribbled them on a back of a sheet of paper, so I started with equilibrium, which wasn't too bad, and then I had stress, strain, collapse, fatigue, failure, deformation, displacement, pressure, all of these words which in um, common parlance would be thought of as horrible, nasty, negative expressions. And I just thought, it's about time that engineers, we get a very bad press, and probably the reason we get a bad press is because we only use negative words. And actually, we don't only use them once, we use them twice. So we don't say, we don't talk about stress, we talk about avoiding stress or resisting pressure. So we take two negative words and somehow assume that the people that are listening to us will turn that into a positive thing, that resisting pressure or avoiding stress is somehow a good thing. Um, so I thought, surely there's a better way of doing it than that. <laughs> and actually, on the back of the sheet of paper, I, found, I wrote down even more words. Creep, distress, shrinkage, which is, you know, for a man, not a good thing to be um, involved with. Um, now, there's my special exhibit. Which I thought I'd left in Pret-a-Manger for a minute there. 
Um, so this is Vitruvius' 10 books of architecture, written in 27 BC. He's talking about the skills that um, an architect, or in fact, he talks about a craftsman. Um, what sort of skills should a craftsman have? Um, and in those days, architects, engineers, craftsmen, um, it was a, um, a spectrum. So a perfect craftsman should be a man of letters, draftsman, a mathematician, a diligent student of philosophy, acquainted with music, not ignorant of medicine, learned in the responses of jurist consults, familiar with astronomy and astronomical calculations. Those are the things that a craftsman should be able to do. So I thought about how many things you know, a contemporary engineer might need to be able to do in the context of what Vitruvius was saying 2,000 years ago. And I realized that actually it would be quite good if most of them would be quite handy for a contemporary engineer, if we want to be the sort of person that people might want to talk to at parties and not run away when, they, when you say that I'm, I'm an engineer and normal response is, oh dear, I'm sorry, I've got to go to the toilet or something. So, um, and there's a curiosity about engineering and how things work. Now, if you can see down here, this, these are my two, my two kids when they're a little bit younger. There's a tiger moth and they're trying to work out, well, about moths. How does a moth work? And, um, a few, a few, a couple of years later, they, we gave them a cheap camera. They went off. We took them down to the um, open air museum down at Singleton in Sussex, where they have a collection of historic buildings. And um, they started taking photographs of each other. Came back, found a bunch of pieces of it was actually bamboo in our garden, and started knocking up. This is with no prompting from from us started knocking up their own timber-framed house and then thatching it. Uh, and it, of course, as in all good engineering, it fell down. So, but what they had done is made themselves quite a nice little shelter by discovering, you know, by looking at how things were working. And um, they'd actually accidentally not managed to make a stable um, house, but they had managed to discover the A-frame. And... Um, they're very happy they were too. And of course, Leonardo, 500 years earlier, also discovered the A-frame and tried to work out how it worked. And what they were doing was no different, I don't think, to what Leonardo was doing when he was trying to understand how a ladder stood up, which of course is not obvious. So 100 years after Leonardo, Galileo produced this wonderful, memorable piece of text. which is a, at least a double negative. His purpose in producing this was to make it completely unintelligible to anybody other than himself. And it's an anagram. So it, this was, um, which translated, was translated, is an anagram of these words, so that lot, unscrambled. He then decided it was in Latin, he put it in Latin, so that also cut out most of the people who um, could understand it. So artissimum planetum, Tergeminum observavi, which means I've observed the highest planet in triple form. What he was talking about was this, which he'd seen through his telescope, which of course was Saturn. And he'd written it as an anagram because he didn't want anybody to understand what he was saying, you know, for fear of persecution, for fear of competition. And 
I think that that sort of um, deliberate obtuseness, Galileo had a point, he didn't want to be persecuted, but engineers do it as a matter of practice and pride. They try to make themselves um, impossible to understand quite often. So instead of getting somebody nice and clear like that, you get this fog. When engineers talk, it's usually like listening. It's the listening equivalent to fog. And um, it's usually in negative language. So, and two negatives, as I said, don't necessarily make a, a right, even in pop music. Um, because the people we're talking to are not engineers. They're usually our clients or people we're designing for. And they come from all different walks of life. So engineering is, frankly, it's not a good thing to be involved with. So we've, we, we rewrote the definition of engineering uh, to this, which is, I mean, this is for civil engineering, uh, the art of changing the physical world for the use and benefit of mankind. And its purpose is to help people and do something fantastic to improve the world. What did the people do who made this building and others like it? They took a dead heap of stones, which is not a cathedral, and they turned it into a cathedral by exploiting the natural forces of gravity, the way the stone had lain, the brilliant invention of flying buttress and arch and so on. And they created a structure out of the analysis of nature into this superb synthesis. So that was Jacob Bronowski talking about Gothic architecture and Gothic engineering. And he, the, the language he's using is not about stress and strain and failure and collapse. He's talking it's entirely positive. It's very... It's celebratory language, and I, the purpose of this lunchtime talk really is to encourage anybody involved in engineering to use positive language and not negative language, and actually to get emotional about what we do. So there's, um, the words emotion and engineering aren't often connected together, but um, they should be in my view. And there's, there's this chap called Plutchik, who I have, shame to say, I have no idea where he came from, but let's say not the UK probably. And he invented something called the wheel of emotion, you probably can't read that, but it has, in the middle are the most intense emotions, and around the outside are, are the sort of mildest ones. Uh, and they move, the adjacencies are, are significant. So if you are amazed or surprised by something, the next step is to be scared of it or to be fearful. And similarly, joy, anticipation, trust, and things like that are closely related. And I think that what happens is the engineers, the engineering fraternity, especially in civil engineering anyway, work around this bit, which is all to do with nasty, negative, you know, be scared, be afraid, and we'll look after you. You know, it's, it's almost to intimidate people into needing engineers. The language we use is so powerfully negative that people who, they think, well, we probably do need these people, but I don't really want to talk to them. Um, so, a couple of examples. Fear, a good one. So here's, here's a, so research is intended to be um, something to offset your fear. Do some research and we get an answer at which point, don't be so scared. So, 
you know, warfare, a handily convertible gas mask that can be used as a bra or vice versa. Um, bra can be for a pair of gas masks, one for the wearer and one to be given to a needy bystander. <laughs> a great invention. Don't be so scared of war. Um, useful, you know, what, if you're a sheep, this would be an important um, one for you. An analysis of the forces required to drag, drag sheep over various surfaces. There's a picture of the poor sheep being tested. It's important. It's important. Research is important, and, um, but it has its place. So another one, anger. So I, I get angry about beams because I think this is, a, this is an ancient technology and we could do a lot better. So this is one of our, this is the tallest building in Europe before the Shard, which is one of our projects at Arabs at the Commerce Bank in Frankfurt. And the beams are all rolled in a steel mill, same, same length, um, uh, same section all the way along. So typical nine meter office beam carrying an office floor weighs three quarters of a ton. Um, but the only, the only bit that's working hard is the bit in the middle in red and the bits at the ends are working very easily, and yet we still put the material there because that's the manufacturing process. What we'd really like is something where it's working just as hard at the end as it is in the middle, which gives you a beam that shape, which only weighs half a ton. So except we can't make them, because the manufacturing industry can't make them. And you, know, you can save a third of every beam on the planet. If you gross it up around the planet, it's 100 million tons or so of steel saved every year all the petrochem plants, all the office buildings, everything. It's a lot of um, energy, but we can't do it. The um, access is denied to us, and the reason it's denied to us is because the business imperative is to sell as much steel as possible, not as little steel as possible. So, not great. Another one. So, trust. Trust is a little bit more positive. So engineers having scared everybody, they want to say, please trust us, and we'll sort you out. So, and that was, that was enshrined in the Institution of Civil Engineers' screed, which is, was written by Thomas Treadcold, who previously wrote a book on wood and carpentry. But he, he said, um, the art of directing the great sources of power in nature for the use and convenience of man, which is close to our take on it. And it's to do with the relationship with nature, with the natural world, and it's meant to be useful and convenient. It's an entirely positive thing. It doesn't talk about stress and strain. It doesn't talk about resisting. The purpose of an engineer is to resist pressure or anything like that. So thank you, Thomas. Um, so, and of course, there are lots of ways of trusting people, you know, to invent something. Um, Not only were the blocks needed for people have done the walls of the chamber, hundreds were also a good thing. Trust me. To build trust the my invention. Roof. So trust the invention of an arch, for example. Blocks. The Egyptians had a, had a system which was quite clever, and it was, it was so clever that it's still used today. And the way they did it was using something called centering, mm -hmm. which is a mobile um, support for the arch, made out of, probably made out of timber, like this. The timber centering would have been raised up on wedges. The centering then acted as a temporary support for the tapered blocks can have the honor of putting in the last piece, which is called the... The keystone. That's right. As in cops, presumably. So, okay. Now, obviously, yeah. obviously if, we, if we just pull this out now, it, the whole lot would yeah. not... But if we just take the wedges, just on my, when I say 
after three. Three, two, one, go. And it just stays there. So the, 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 the trust there is the cunning plan to get the piece of centering out from underneath the arch without knocking the whole thing down, which is a great, somebody invented that. And it's a fantastic little, um, demo, but you've got to do it the first time. And the thing about engineering is if you are going to be trusted, you're usually trusted with very large things which are very heavy. And if you betray that trust, they're going to collapse on you. So it's quite, the trust is rather an important thing. And again, it's not trust me because my fee is cheaper than yours. It's trust me because I actually understand nature and how it might behave in, in the context of mankind. So the next one, which is in, also, these are all from Plutchik's Wheel of Emotion. Anticipation, which for engineers is fantastic. So you design something and then you think, um, how's it going to work? What's going to happen to it? So anticipation is a very good one. And sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. So here's an example of a... Stone is in good hands, Roger has set himself another challenge. Thousands of limestone blocks were used to build the chamber around the sarcophagus at the bottom of the shaft. Roger thinks the Egyptians made the blocks by splitting them from big lumps like this. But he's never put his theory to the test. In order to split the stone, I'm going to dig down as far as I can go in the, in the stone. Then I'll take a wooden wedge, add water, and as the wood accepts the water, it swells, and it'll push the stone apart, hopefully. I'm going to put one here, one here, and a third one here. As they say in Arabic, inshallah, it'll be split in two. So that's his, um, he's a Vietnam War vet, this chapman has a particular um, way of doing his engineering, but he's, but he's, um, uh, you know, he's, this happens thousands of times on every project. People come up with an idea and they're not quite sure whether it's going to work or not, and somehow they've got to test it. So he's testing it. You know, he's actually, and his anticipation is it's going to work. We've got another one which we're doing at the moment where we've, um, which is in Athens, luckily funded by the Americans. Um, this is a big project we're doing with Renzo Piano for an opera house and a library. And that plane on the top is a 100 meter by 100 meter solar collector, which is covered with PVs, with photovoltaics. And it's, it provides all the background energy for the whole facility, because it's very sunny in Athens. And um, it's a, Renzo wanted this to be a monument and to last 500 years, so it's, which is tricky. Um, so anyway, we've, we've decided. Uh, this is more, uh... It should be stiffer, right? Yeah. But it's not. So with this one, you make it out of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Which is called which is a very old... Um, this, is, this is the sort of concrete you can use if labor is cheap and materials are expensive. So it's what people used to um, use much more, especially in places like Mexico um, in the 50s. Um, nowadays, resources are scarce and automation is possible, so we're starting to automate this whole process. This is just one of the test pieces. But you can get away with really, really, really thin pieces of concrete. So, you know, it's an anti our anticipation is that this will do the job. And um, you can see the concrete on, this is the, one of the prototype cantilever edges. It's 20 millimeters thick uh, at the bottom for this 
gigantic structure, and it's being load tested with bags of sand. Um, and eventually, it'll hopefully, look like that rather beautiful. So our, our anticipation is that technology will produce this beautiful thing. I don't care about the stresses, frankly, in terms, at least in terms of my conversations with anybody apart from other engineers. And, um, but I do care that it's beautiful and it's going to last 500 years and do its job. Sadness, which is if things don't quite work as you anticipate. So back to Roger with his block. And as for Roger's block, well, he's been at it now for three days, and he's using modern steel wedges. Stand back. We've got a crack going. It's not exactly where we wanted it. I suppose if we had rotated the stone 90 degrees and gone, on, gone into it perpendicular from the way we did, it probably would have split a lot easier. Oh, dear. It is sad when things don't work as you expect. Um, it's also sad when you, when you, as an engineer, you think you could do something for people, but sometimes you, you can't. Um, that can be very frustrating. But actually, um, in terms of use and benefit of mankind, it is possible if you get a really good project. So as John said, we, we had a project up on Stockton on Tees. I don't know if anybody here is from that part of the Northeast, but it was the second poorest town in the UK in the 80s. Huge unemployment. Um, all of the old ironworks had been closed down. So all of these people were out of a job. All that lot just flattened. These people hadn't worked for 30 years, and the last, the last job they had was to take down the buildings that they were working in. That was their the demolition of their own offices or um, laboratories. That was their job. Um, he's a, he converted himself to a taxi driver. He said, probably the second dirtiest, grimiest place I've ever seen in my life. Now, if he was an engineer, I would understand that sort of... He probably was an engineer. That's why he's using such negative language. But um, he's, <laughs> I've lived there for 30 years. He feels though like he can't get out. He's trapped by his circumstances. And Maggie Thatcher, amazingly, went up there and um, set up a thing called Tees Valley Regeneration uh, consortium or something, and started funding regeneration projects. So she did some good things. Um, and these are the beneficiaries. So still a bit sad. So sort of disenfranchised as a youth. His you know, most excitement is to jump off the edge of the river into the water. I lost my phone, my wallet, I lost a shoe. These are, these are the sort of people who, it's a struggle. So I think um, rather than all that negative stuff, or double negatives in some cases, I want to focus on this part. What engineers actually do and can do is focus on the top part. So interest, anticipation, ecstasy is in there. Joy, serenity, optimism, acceptance, trust, love. These are things which... Um, it would be really nice if, engi if engineers could inspire that sort of feeling in the people that they're working with. And I, th I do think from time to time it's actually possible. So start with joy. So joy. So we, d we designed them um, a bridge. So this is uh, some of the early sketches done on the train on the way back from Stockton. Um, tested it with 
Lou chain, bog chain, that we hung upside down to get the right shape and then turned over to get a sort of first approximation. Built it all in the computer. Built it all in reality. It's an unbelievably slender project. This won the top um, supreme excellence prize from the Institution of Structural Engineers a couple of years ago. But um, all of that object type stuff, I mean, it's a beautiful, I think it is rather a beautiful thing, although I'm slightly biased having <laughs> been so closely involved with it. But actually, as far as I'm concerned, it is of no use whatsoever if the people who live and experience, live near there and experience it don't like it. So what do they think about it? So it's a lovely way to spend your lunchtime, says these, these two ladies. Um, these chaps. It's got better metal than the other ones. So there's a... <laughs> One of the other ones, one of the other bridges talking about was designed by Arab and Partners, no less, of a very famous company I used to work for. And so did Alistair, maybe still does. Um, it feels good, you know, they, they're using language. This is not engineering language. This is, not, this is, this is um, human beings talking to each other. They're trying to express themselves. We made them feel like this through that piece of engineering. I mean, it's quite, I don't know what sort of bunnies they have up there, but they're obviously... <laughs> on something. Um, these old blokes, I saw the last piece go in, I got, and then I got a lovely bacon sandwich in Durham University. They make a lovely sandwich. You know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Food is important. These ladies, um, I like the fact you can get to Asda. It's quite handy, to be fair. They're great. I mean, they're fantastic. And I watched, the, I watched, the, I watched it being built. It's magnificent. It's brilliant. Um, taxi driver says, if you'd seen the amount of people, it says it all. And he's talking about the, the opening day when they were, it's only a town of about 30,000 people um, who live close by, and almost all of them went out onto the banks of the river and just filled it up both sides. They were so proud of what they'd done um, and celebrated this piece of you know, their community. And it was a fantastic thing to see. It's just amazing to be involved with it. Um, surprise. Because you never quite know what's going to happen. And sometimes it's like Roger's block of stone. It doesn't break where it's supposed to. Or sometimes uh, things don't quite behave as you expect them to. Sometimes you just, it's drama. You just don't actually know what's going to happen. So, especially if you're designing sports facilities. So we had to, Chris Hoy was on the jury for the velodrome when we won that competition, and um, he wanted the velodrome to basically maximize the number of gold medals that Britain would win at the Olympics, and as far as possible, to maximize the number of medals that Chris Hoy would win at the Olympics. That was his brief to us. So we designed and built this thing, which has been well talked about elsewhere, so I won't go into it in great detail here. And then off went Chris Hoy on his bike. In the end, that's nothing to do with our engineering, although it wouldn't have happened without it, probably. Well, maybe it would have done, but he's quite a fast cyclist anyway. But um, the, whole, the whole idea of being able to, engineers being able to participate in creating that experience is what it's all about, as far as I'm concerned. And it's no good having the velodrome empty. It's got to be full of people using it. And in fact, in a, in a few months' time, we'll be able to go and hire your own track bike and ride around that same circuit for a few quid as a member of the public. So, back to that list of um, engineering words. Failure, 
I've got galloping, fluttering, turbulence, pollution, contamination, refusal, tension, compression. I mean, all these things are buckling. It's all uh, sounds rough to me. Um, but I thought, what do the professional institutions around the place, what, are, what language do they use? How are they communicating engineering? So this is the, one of the most recent reports from the Royal Academy of Engineering, Innovation in Technology based companies, reinventing the business ecosystem, very jolly language. If you um, wordle every word and take out the, the A's and the V's, you end up with business being the most important word, companies being the next most important, services being the next most important, innovation and technology get a little bit lower down. And, you know, and there's no emotion in there, there's no human connectivity, it's all about you know, money and actually jobs and it's defensive language. So the civil engineers um, have, are trying very hard. The institution of civil engineers is using this sort of language, so, which is much more positive, much more upbeat. And this is aimed at school kids, actually. You know, bigger, wider, stronger. Um, but the, the, probably the masters are Apple. And Apple, this is a piece of Apple's advertising off the, off the internet. They, they use language which is not about the technology. It's not about the funky silicon chips. It's all about what these things can do for you as a human being. So it talks about they make the iPad capable of so much more than you ever imagined. You know, it's, um, you're actually touching your photos, which you're not, of course. Reading a book, playing the piano, you're not doing any of that stuff, but you feel as though you are. That's the language they use. Nothing becomes between you and what you love. This is the world's most successful company. And engineers are still talking about stress and strain and collapse and fatigue. And there was an engineer a long time ago who actually got this joke. And he understood about the... Um, explain to people what you can do for them called Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci. And he wrote, um, in 1482, wrote a letter to the Duke of Milan, where I was last Wednesday. They talk about Leonardo as if he's only just died in Milan. I don't know if you've been there recently. <laughs> and they say, oh, there's Leonardo. That, he built a lift in that building, they say, and they point at this building and say, he, was, he lived in that town just down the road there. He, and you don't have to read this, but he talks, he says, he wrote to the, to the Duke of Sforza and said, I, I, um, I'll make you war, weapons, battering rams, bombardment things. I'll make it very easy for you to transport them. Um, ships which can resist the fire of all but the heaviest can. And basically saying, I will make you a very powerful man. This was Leonardo's pitch. And um, he said, oh, down at the bottom, he says, oh, by the way, I can also execute sculpture in marble, bronze, or clay, and also painting, in which my work will stand comparison with that of anyone else. <laughs> So he's a modest man in terms of painting. But he was offering to do engineering. And he, what he said was, and this is the final slide, I think. It had long since come to my attention that people of accomplishment, let's hope engineers, rarely sat back and let things happen to them. They weren't the victims of stress and strain, fatigue, or even collapse. He said they went out and happened to things. So we translated that to be the art and the art of changing the physical world for the use and benefit of mankind, which is what engineers hopefully do for people. Very positive thing, not two negatives together. Thank you very much.
Thank you very much, Chris. There is time for, uh, we have to go at five minutes to, to uh, I'll be watching the clock very carefully, but now it's time for questions. Oh. Thank you for that talk. I, I'd, I'd just like to offer one suggestion. If lawyers would understand technical terms, it would make this country far, far better and we could probably generate growth. I lost a job for standing up for, for technology. Um, and when I came to um, an industrial tribunal, my evidence that the, that the company had to go this way was not accepted as a, as a reason because they wouldn't take it as a... And when it came to the um, appeal, they wouldn't accept evidence that hadn't been in the original tribunal. <coughs> The outcome of it was the company lost a two billion pound order. Uh, you know, no wonder we, we have no growth in this country. I don't know if that helps. To uh, well, I, what I would say is that it's not just the lawyers, of course, who, who, who you're trying to communicate with, because it's important. I mean, I don't know whether uh, the reason that they didn't understand what was being said to them was because it wasn't said well or because they didn't hear well. Right. But I also, I say the, politician, the political classes struggle, so you have to boil it down to very, very simple language. This is, in part, I mean, you can, you can talk about the complicated technology, but I think when you, certainly in my experience with talking to politicians, it's rather good to keep it in really simple language that you know, talks to them at an emotional level, at a human level, and not to, they can get bored after half a sentence of technical mumbo jumbo. I'll give you one example. We went to Downing Street with the Design Council a couple of years ago and spoke to the Secretary of State for Trade and Industry and the Business Secretary and one or two others and some senior civil servants. And uh, at the end of it, they said, well, that was all very interesting. Thank you very much for all of that. And um, here's the Daily Mail, from, or the Sunday Mail. And on the, picture of, on the front of it was a picture of wheelie bins cluttering up the streets somewhere or other. And they said, could you design, I think you could forget about all that stuff, could you design a nicer wheelie bin? That was what they were interested in, because they wanted to get it off the front page of the, of the Sunday Mail. So, I, but I think if you don't talk to them, you know, on equal terms... Yes, yes. There are other things as well, though, aren't they? You see, that's probably why I don't want to spend too much time with them. <laughs> it's a very slender bridge, the Stockton Bridge. Yes. How did you feel when it was op the opening ceremony? Did it get the same sort of loading that the Millennium Bridge was supposed uh, to at its opening? It did. It got more, actually. And, and um, it's been, we learned a lot from the Millennium Bridge, obviously, because that was, that was one of my former projects. Um, we learned a lot from that project. And all of the, so it was properly damped. We knew what to look for. And all the experiments in, had been done and the fear to some extent, had been allayed. And I mean, I think Arabs did a, Tony Fitzpatrick took on the Millennium Bridge, because I'd left, left Arabs by then, when it actually wobbled. Um, he took it on and did a fantastic job of understanding the phenomenon and making it available for other people so that we could allay our own fears. But I, Stockton was, um, yeah, it was fantastically slender. And actually, the contractor built it crooked. So we were more scared by the fact that the contractor didn't build it straight and it had a kink in it. I didn't show you some slides where we loaded up the whole bridge with its full design load in bags of water, 
measured how far the arch kinked sideways, and then very carefully took the bags of water back off again and hoped that it would go back to where it started from because it, was, it had this inbuilt kink from welding it crooked. Anyway, but it all worked fine. It, is, it was deliberate. We did design, we, we designed that bridge to be the slenderest arch that we possibly could. You know, two, in fact, the two arches, but that was the plan. I, I, you know, to go much more slender than that, I think, would be pretty difficult, to be honest. Can you hang on for the mic? I really enjoyed that, thanks. Um, I just had two questions. The first is, do you think it's an English thing? Um, and the second thing is, do you think what you're talking about with engineers is a bit, uh, is a sort of reinvention of professional power that applies to a lot of different professions in the UK at the moment, particularly this question about engaging with communities and trying to understand what people want and um, working with that in mind? Yes, I, I, don't, I don't think it's an English, only an English thing. I mean, I, uh, in Milan, actually, I, I gave a talk, and a guy came up afterwards. He was an architect. He said, my dad was an, enge was an engineer. He's dead now. He said he, he, he worked for the local authority, and he ended up as a manager because, you know, that was his job. It was a business. And uh, he said, that stuff you just showed us, he said, I, I, now I know what my dad could have been. So this is an Italian fella. I'm not saying it's the same in every country. I've had experiences in lots of different, you know, Japan and the States and Germany. I'd, I'd say it's fairly common that people are engineers. They pride themselves on the precision, precision of their language, but at the same time, they forget that when they're talking to people who aren't engineers, they have to, you know, engage with them. And uh, I don't think that engineers are that good at engaging. And I th there are countries where engineers have power and have authority. I mean, there are quite a lot of countries where it's set up that way. Um, but I, you know, at one level, that's a particular sort of engagement. And when you're looking at trying to improve a community or you know, give people a sense of you know, joy, like the velodrome, it's, 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 um, I think that transcends this, you know, I'm an engineer, I'm powerful, or I'm an engineer and I'm subservient. I mean, it's beyond that. You've got to just communicate with people in simple language. And I, I, you know, just use positive emotional language and try to make a connection, I think is really important. And you can't always do it. Sometimes people get annoyed when you talk to them like that. <laughs> you, can't win. you can't be friends with everybody. I do have to close it now. Let's just say thank you very much, Chris, for a very lively, exciting, and very interesting lecture. Thank you very much. Thank you.